0: John chapter 8, we will continue this morning in the theme from the month of January. We have been looking at what it means to live in the will of God and really picking it up where we ended two Sundays ago. Last Sunday, of course, we had our communion service. What have we learned so far about living in the will of God? We have learned that God's will should be the primary focus of our lives. We have learned that our lives do not belong to us. But each of us, everyone without exception, will give an account to God for their life. And number three, we've learned or are learning that true riches are found in a life lived in the faithful pursuit of the will of God. There's no other way to live a good life. In fact, I'll say it now and I'll repeat it again. Jesus teaches us that the only way our life is not wasted is if we live it in the will of God. That's it. Anything else short of that, you have wasted your life. Now, there are people in this room this morning that are wasting their life right now, but I hope that will change. I hope that we will come to understand and appreciate that the will of God is something we can all live in. And we can look at our yesterdays and say, well, they're past, but they are past. And starting now, today, I want to live in the will of God. Nothing else matters. And the point of all points is this, that to live in the will of God is to live for the glory of God. In fact, at the very beginning of it all, if you want a summary of what all of these messages are saying, it is that God's will is whatever glorifies Him. So when we think about what is God's will in general, it is that He would be glorified. What is God's will for me in particular? That my life will glorify God. I listen to a great song. It's kind of become a a ritual on Sunday morning because I'm not real gifted at searching all this stuff out. I try to go on to Amazon Music, and since I won't pay anything, I can only access what's free. So I usually look for about five minutes and then give up and just play the same songs again that I played last time. But the very first song I... listen to is by the choir from Lancaster singing for the cause of Christ what a tremendous song for the cause of Christ I live for this cause I would die I love the message of that song it brings glory to God in church it should be or must become our desire to live in the will of God every day and for all of our days so that our lives will bring constant glory to God. There is a way for you to live in which every moment of your life is in the will of God bringing glory to God. I don't know if we've appreciated that truth like we ought to, but there is a way to live in which every moment of your life is in the will of God and bringing glory to God. That's what I want to find and that's what I want you to find. There's no higher purpose and no greater joy and no more satisfying life than this. Last time we learned that a life rich in God is a life rich in the experience of God. We learned that a life rich in God is a life rich in the enterprise of God. Somebody who is pursuing God's kingdom with all that they are and bringing their kingdom into subjection to God's kingdom. And yes, you have a kingdom. Everybody here has a little kingdom you're in charge of. God has entrusted you with it. It started when you were very small. And throughout your life, you will have a kingdom that God has entrusted to you. And you know what he wants you to do with your kingdom? He wants you to bring it under his kingdom. And in every way you do that, you bring glory to God and you live in the will of God. A life rich in God is a life rich in the eternity of God. A life that is invested in God's worldwide mission to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a life that is rich in God. But today I want to bring you this message on Jesus and the will of God. Jesus and the will of God. Now in John chapter 8, in in the first 30 verses of this chapter, I'm not going to read all that this morning, but I want to reference it. I noticed that as I read through this, because my primary text is verse 28 and 29. In fact, let me read those two verses. John 8 verse 28 and 29 then said Jesus unto them, You might guess who the them is the religious people, the lifetime church members who didn't like what Jesus stood for, didn't like the change that he was bringing, the same old them. Then Jesus said unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. That's the text this morning when we come to try and understand Jesus and his view and teaching of the will of God. But I noticed I wanted to read the context of this text. I want to understand where it's coming from and, and what brought in the conflict and the controversy here. And, and as I read through verse 1 all the way down to verse 30, I noticed that there is a confidence in Jesus that all of us could have, but many of us do not. Let me say that a different way to make sure I'm clear. Jesus had a confidence about him, an unshakable confidence That all of us who are in Christ could have but many of us do not do you know why that is it comes down to what he said in verse 29 I do always those things which please him and there are three marks of this confidence that I noticed just passing quickly I noticed that Jesus was confident enough to be merciful when others called for judgment That's verse 1 through 11, the woman that had been taken in the very act of adultery. They said, the law says that she is to be stoned. Moses says, stone her. What do you say? And Jesus said, ye that are without sin, be the first to cast a stone. And they began to walk away. And he said in verse number 10, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn Go and sin no more. It's really hard to read that passage without just wanting to say hallelujah. It's the story of my life. Do you know why some people call for judgment? Oftentimes the reason judgment is called for in religion is in order to reassure ourselves that we are being good little Christians. When someone has done wrong and we're caught, we, we've caught them in it, And we call for judgment to prove that we are doing right because look at them they're wrong that's insecurity that's not confidence that sounds a lot like work salvation doesn't it which we don't believe in do we we believe in a salvation that works amen jesus was also confident enough to claim his true identity when others would hide behind false humility in, in verse 12 through 20, you see this. The Pharisees, they come to him and they say, your record's not true. You're just making this up. You can say whatever you want to say about yourself. You can't even talk to people like this. I can't. Now, Jesus could. I, he always knew what to say. Me, I just get so frustrated with, is it all right if I say idiots? I, I shouldn't say that. I know I shouldn't say that. Uh, challenging people who lack good sense and reason. They they frustrate me, but Jesus always knew just what to say. And he didn't back down from claiming his identity. He said, I am the light of the world. (laughs) Now, I'm not the light of the world, and yet Jesus said, ye are the light of the world, but I'm only light as I reflect his light. But you know how bad it is that we can't even live with that much confidence in our life. We have to put on an air of false humility to to say, you know, to be apologetic. To be apologetic for who Jesus is in our life. Jesus wasn't apologetic. He owned who he was. There's confidence in that. He was confident enough, thirdly, to obey the Father with no need to manipulate the outcome of his life. From verse 21 on down, Jesus said I go my way you're gonna seek me and you'll die in your sins and whither where I'm going you cannot come and they said where's he where's he going what, what's gonna to happen to him who art thou verse 25 Jesus said unto them even the same that I said unto you from the beginning I have many things to say and to judge of you but he that sent me is true and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him they understood not that he spake to them of the father Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then ye shall know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. In modern vernacular, Jesus said, When you have crucified me, when you have taken my life, and you have nailed me to the cross, and I'm hanging there between heaven and earth, you'll know that what I said was true. And I don't do this of my own. I do this because this is exactly what the Father said I must do. Jesus had enough confidence to obey the Father with no need to manipulate the outcome of his life. What would you give to have that kind of confidence? To say, God, not my will, but thine be done. I'll tell you, the only way you'll ever get there is to go through your own experience of Gethsemane, your own experience of Calvary, Your own experience of saying, I know what I want and I know what would make me feel safe and comfortable, but God, it's not what I want, it's what you want. That's all that matters. That's the kind of confidence Jesus had. Now, no one ever got it as right as Jesus got it, but who wouldn't want to live the way Jesus lived? Who wouldn't want to live with that kind of assurance and confidence? And not having to apologize for who you are and for what you believe because you're settled in the Father? That's a powerful life. It's a free life. It's a life which brings glory to God. And this confidence comes from living in the will of God and doing always those things that please Him. Now, who beside Jesus could even do that, you might wonder. I mentioned in the message the last time when we were looking in Luke 12 about the will of God, how that Brother Corey had mentioned to us in that Wednesday night message that he preached and he asked us that night are the choices that we make in our lives like the choices that jesus made might have been a sunday night i forget which night it it was but the question was uh he said are are the choices that we make in our lives like the choices that jesus made in his life in other words do we live as jesus would live and the question would be following might be well that is that even fair to ask I mean, who could live like Jesus lives? Who could, I mean, is it possible to even live up to the standard of Jesus? And the answer is, of course it is. Of course it is. And we've got to stop accepting a Christianity that is anything less than that. Otherwise, the life of Jesus is, well, pointless to us. That's why so often all we focus on is the cross and that he died for our sins. And we forget that he lived 33 and a half years to show us what life He was purchasing for us. It matters. What is the standard of Jesus? It's in our text. He said to do always those things which please Him. But you think, well, Jesus, He was sinless, though. Yes. And though we are not sinless, we can live a life that is in line with the will of God every day and every hour of the day. But what, but what, if, what, if, what if we sin? Not if, right? let me say that better what what about when we sin what about when I sin preacher we ask in that as in all things what is the will of God when you sin what is God's will for you what does God want when we sin first John 1 9 if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness the confession of your sin is the will of God they just sang a song and said he's the Redeemer of the rain well I agree because he's the Redeemer of everything that you'll give him even your failure your sin and your 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 disobedience and and your struggle you give it to him you bring it in confession with a contrite heart and God redeems that and it's his will to do so we can live in the will of God just as Jesus did and it starts like it started with Jesus with this singular focus you see his one agenda in life one agenda in life boy if we could ever get to the place where we only had one agenda in our life where our life was driven day in and day out we did all things for one purpose one end because that's how Jesus lived and his one agenda in life was to do whatever the father wanted and here will be one of our first challenges Jesus knew what the Father wanted, didn't he? But how can we really know what God wants us to do in such a way that we could possibly say, I do always those things which please him? I want to try to answer that as we look at things that Jesus teaches us about the will of God. Now, how did Jesus know what the Father's will was? There are certain ways he lived that show us how he knew and show us how we can know and the first thing I want to point out to you is that the will of the father was the sustenance of life for Jesus he lived not only for it but he lived in and by it he drew his strength of life by knowing the will of his father John chapter 4 verse 31 through 34 in the meanwhile this is by the way after the encounter with the samaritan woman at the well what another wonderful passage isn't it sometimes i really wish that we lived back in the 1800s or 1700s where i could preach for four hours and you'd sit there and listen attentively and when i got done you would come and ask preacher could you give us more only thing i'd change about it is i'd want air conditioning i can't even handle with no heat but i well if it's summertime but anyway, John 4, 31, 34. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. I have food. I have you Say, boy, that's a pretty cool metaphor. That's not a metaphor. Jesus meant what he said. I have meat to eat that ye know not of. What is it? Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him up to eat? They didn't even think it was a metaphor. They thought, man, somebody's already dropped off some Chick-fil-A while we weren't looking. Jesus saith unto them, My meat, my food, my nourishment, my strength is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. I don't have to worry about what I'll eat tomorrow. And what I have right now is sufficient. I can get through today on what I've already eaten today. More important than that physical food is the nourishment of the Word of God. And Jesus said, I can go on that for a long time. Remember Matthew 4, Luke 4, Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights without eating. He lived off of the will of God. His primary mission was not to make much of himself nor to ensure that he took care of himself, but it was to live in and of the will of the Father. In other words, Jesus really, really, really meant Matthew six thirty three. He lived Matthew six thirty three. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus wasn't worried about food. He wasn't worried about clothing. He wasn't worried about shelter. The only thing he was concerned about was doing the will of the Father. That's it. In John chapter 5, the Jews are beginning to seriously make plans to take Jesus out. It says in verse 17 through 19, But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, boy, you know, we should stop right there and spend a little time. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you came to church and did anything that you couldn't have done in your own power and strength? When's the last time you weren't in church that you did something for God that you couldn't have done it in your own power and strength? You want to talk about living in the will of God? Jesus said the Son can do nothing of Himself. That's total reliance upon God the Father to empower Him and to lead Him and to fill Him. would to God we would get to the place where we couldn't do anything without God's help? And I'm not talking about tying your shoes, but maybe I am talking about tying your shoes. I tell you, there's been some proud people that have been knocked down into a low place where they learned that they couldn't tie their shoes unless God tied their shoes for them. Would to God we all lived that way and didn't think that we were so capable, so gifted. He said, the Son can do nothing of Himself but what He seeth the Father do. For what things soever He doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. These are bold statements And they're very offensive to the weak. But he makes no apology for it. He simply speaks the truth. He says, I am following my Father. I do what he does. To that I say, wow, confidence. or the confidence that comes from living in the will of God. Secondly, the will of the Father was sought by Jesus as the priority of his life. The will of the Father was sought by Jesus as the priority of his life. Again, John 5 and verse 30, he says, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. I seek not my own will. Now you just begin right there. Right there is the place to begin. I seek not my own will. I have said and I will say again that living in the will of God means first a complete surrender of my own will. Or let me say it this way. It's the subjection of my will under the will of God. God doesn't take away our will living in god's will doesn't mean that i don't have a will it doesn't mean that god doesn't want me to have a choice or god doesn't want me to decide things it means that everything that is within my power to choose gets submitted under god's will that's how jesus lived whose will is most important yours or god's whose will is good acceptable and perfect of course god's is the only one that is so then that means that we like jesus must seek the will of the father daily daily some of you think jesus just knew always exactly what to do because well he was god i'd love to blow that myth out of the water you've never learned to love jesus until you understand that he was a man like you he was as much human as you are jesus didn't have some sort of psychedelic power that tied him to the throne room that nobody else could possibly have you know what connected Jesus to the Father prayer that's it you realize that Jesus had to learn everything just like we do after Joseph and Mary found him in the temple confounding the doctors of the law and they took him to Nazareth the end of that chapter says and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. How in the world did Jesus know how to confound those wise men in the temple? Well, he was God, of course, he knew. I mean, he wrote the book. Wrong. That ain't how he did it. Jesus learned from the scriptures just like everybody else has to. Jesus had to learn how to feed himself and... He had to learn how to walk and he had to learn how to ride a bike and he had to learn how to drive a car or whatever they had, just like everybody else. Some of you are wondering if that's true. Preacher, I don't know if I, I agree with that. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9, Though he were a son, capital S, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. you know how Jesus learned to walk? He learned to walk the same way you did, by falling down and scraping his knees. You know how he learned to fight the devil with the Word of God in Matthew chapter 4? Because he'd studied the Word of God. He learned the same way we do. He went to Sunday school and he went to Wednesday night Bible class and he learned the Word of God. But you see, the difference between him and many of us is he was serious about it. Now I'll add in there, of course, that he lived in a culture that was far more devout than ours. And even though they had a lot of false religion then too, society as a whole had a reverence for god that our society doesn't have that didn't hurt anything right i'm saying all that to say to you can do this too you can live in the will of god just like jesus did you're not allowed to pull the well i'm not jesus card that is in the maybe not so modern slang the cop out that's the excuse for you to just live how you want to you cheapen the grace of God, every time you say something like that or act like that,'s true. Because the same grace that brought salvation hath told us to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. That's the same grace. So you can't say that. Well, I'm not Jesus. Jesus didn't live his life to shame us, he lived his life to show us. Jesus is not an excuse to do less than our best. He is the example that we should live up to and give our best to live a life that glorifies God. How did Jesus seek the will of the Father? The same way we must do it. He read the scriptures. He prayed often. I want to say those first two again. He read the scriptures. You know what? He didn't even have a copy to carry around with him. He didn't have one in his car and one in his desk drawer and one in his bedroom and one in his living room nope you know where he read it when he'd go to the synagogue don't for a minute think that Jesus didn't spend some time memorizing scripture don't think that Jesus didn't put in the hours of time making much of the Word of God and how he sought the will of God in his life is the same way you have to seek it by reading the scriptures by praying often you know, another way he, he discovered it and, and learned it was by spending time with others who wanted it and talking about it. By teaching others. He went to the synagogue to hear and to learn. He meditated on what he heard. He learned the voice of his Father. I don't know all the reasons why that there's no record of Jesus' life from the time he was born, those first Incidents up until the age of 12, but there's not but I know this Then 12 on there's nothing until he's 30, but I know this at the age of 30 When he stepped out of the Jordan River after obeying his father The Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove and the voice of God was clearly heard Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I know this that by the time he was 30 years old He knew the voice of the father unmistakable and it's all he needed you see the reason that many of us need to be propped up by so many other things we need to have stuff that's cool we need to have things in the world we need to have people tell us how good we are we need to have people affirm us all the time it's because we don't know how to hear the voice of God I'll admit right now if every one of you turn your back on me that's gonna hurt that's not gonna be fun but you know how I'll survive that I know I'm God's son and i tell you, God will never turn his back on me. So right or wrong, good, bad, or ugly, whatever I do, I'm never going to be forsaken by my Father. Now, if you don't have that kind of confidence in your life, I bet you're struggling to live in the will of God because you're too busy and invested in pleasing people so that they will be pleased and happy with you and affirm you and prop you up. You're too busy with that to live in, in the confidence of God's will. Many of you would say, but I do those things, preacher. I read my Bible. I pray. I come to church. But the key difference is this. When you do all those things, you do it while still seeking your own will in life and you're deaf to the will of God. You're living what could be called an absurd life. What is that? Absurd. comes from the Latin word absurdus. It's a very interesting word. It means to be out of tune. For someone to be absurd means to be living out of tune. Out of tune with what? Well, in our life, since the will of God is the most important thing, anytime we're not living in the will of God, we're out of tune with it. The root word "surdus" means to be dull or deaf. The reason we're not in tune is because we can't hear. We're deaf. And Jesus diagnosed this when he said in Mark 4, 23, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. My sheep know my voice. We're without excuse. Think about what you were tuned into yesterday. What captured and held most of your attention yesterday? What really had you excited? Where did you give the most energy to? What one thing did you give the most time to yesterday? if it's anything other than God you're living an absurd life the third thing I will tell you about Jesus and how he knew the will of the Father was this the will of the Father was the joyful purpose and pursuit of Jesus life it was the joyful purpose and pursuit of Jesus life listen to these words from John 6 Verse 37 through 40, he says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I am come down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that, all, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Some of you sitting here, maybe the age of 16 or 50 or 70, you're still hanging your hopes for a happy life on if things will just turn out the way you hope they will. At 8 years old, you were dreaming. Oh, if I can only get this thing, life will be grand. And now, at 38 and 48 and 58 and 68, In 78, you're still living with that kind of hope hung on things turning out the way you want it to. And you're disappointed. You're not joyful. You're confused about life. You're upset. You don't understand. You hung your hope on the wrong thing, friend. And you can live out your days with all your hope hanging on If only life will turn out the way I want it to. If I get this, if we get to do this, if we get to buy this, if we get to go there, if I get this job, if I get this kind of retirement, if this will work out and that will work out and they'll do what I want and they'll do what I want and everybody will do what I want and everybody will just be what I want them to be. Oh, I, I know that feeling. I battle that every day of my life. Every day of my life, I battle that. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth about me. I know exactly how everybody ought to live. I'll tell you, too, if you ask me. I say that jokingly, but that's that's a carnal side of me that doesn't help anybody. We can't hang our hopes on getting everybody to do it just the way we want it or everything working out just the way. No, we've got to do like Jesus and say, there's one reason I came. There's one thing God has appointed me to do. I'm going to do that thing, and I'm excited about that thing, and it brings joy and fulfillment to my life. I don't know where you're at in life I don't know what all the pieces add up And what the equation says about who you are and where you are right now But if you can't look at your life with all honesty and integrity before god and before his people and say Man i'm excited about what god's doing in my life and i'm thankful for where I am God is good and I know i'm in the perfect will of god and i'm excited about it and it gives me joy Now if you can't say that this morning Because i'm going to go ahead and tell you i'll confess my sins to you and my faults But I'm also not going to be ashamed to tell you that's where I'm living. Praise God, I am in the will of God and I am filled with joy and it is a struggle every day and there are battles every day. But when it's all said and done and the dust clears in the bottom of my soul, I know that I am in His will and I am filled with joy and I am grateful for it and I don't apologize for it. To God be the glory. Jesus lived to do The will of his father because it was the joy of his heart to do so nothing gave Jesus more joy (laughs) do you think in our text that when Jesus saw that woman walk away uncondemned that he would have traded that for anything nothing will give you joy like the will of God for your life. You've got to find it. You've got to seek it with all your heart. I tell you, there's a God in heaven. He will fix what's wrong with you. He'll take every hurt and mend it. Every dark confusion of your mind, memories of your life that are painful, God will heal those. When you get to the place where you have only one agenda, when you get to the place where you can say, like Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. God has done for us. He's just heaped so much on us. Who are we to say, God, you can't do this to me? Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane he said, oh, it's, if it's possible, take this cup. Well, you ever prayed that way? Jesus was stronger than I am. He got right to it that night. Sometimes it's taken me a little longer to get to the second part of that often I pray God do this oh God why can't you just do this just do this but when you get to the place where you're able to say Lord whether you do this or not it don't change a thing I'm going to love you and I'm going to serve you and it doesn't matter when you can get to that place friends that's joy that's joy